0: Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message.
1: Take a seat, take a seat everybody. So good, we're going to have a great night tonight. Social justice, okay? We're going to do, we're going to, we've got rants happening, Q&A, all this stuff. But before that happens, I want to tell you about next week. I realised the other day if I had one sermon to preach after people became a Christian, do you know what it would be, Shelley? It would be on forgiveness. I think it's really important to forgive. In fact, if you don't forgive, the Bible says that Jesus said, if we don't forgive, he won't forgive us. That's a pretty heavy thing. And the other thing is, if you're going to move on, if you're going to heal, and you're going to be healthy, you have to forgive. And we all get hurt pretty bad. So in the next two weeks, we're going to do a theme on forgiveness and it's going to be a great theme. We're going to have, going to have a resentment-free church. <laughs> Good, a miracle, another miracle. And uh, do you know, Andy, where does anger come from? People are angry because they haven't forgiven. People get stuck on hurt going back years and years. So we're going to have a resentment-free church, an anger-free church, I'm speaking by faith, a bitterness-free church. Okay, that might be... Anyway, don't don't go there, Rose. All right. Um, Tonight's topic is social justice. Okay, there's a lot of voices out there, a lot of social media. What is justice? Does it cost us? Can we just put a little... wave a little banner or post a graphic and will that change the world? What is social justice versus biblical justice? Do we need to care? Who was the greatest justice warrior? Yes, and it cost him his life so we have got two thinkers we thought we would release the thinkers not so much the feelers tonight the thinkers and uh, I'm going to introduce our guest we have Greg Watkinson so you come up Greg Greg is a millennial and a deep thinker yes he also makes fantastic coffee he's got a teaching gift he's married to Sarah three kids he's on our tech team And he's guided our church through the COVID online world. So come and take a seat, Greg. Okay, and next we have Danny White. Danny White is married to Heath. She has four kids and she has the most beautiful... Have you got a dog? No. Three Three chickens. No, no, no. Danny has got the most beautiful dog called Hazel. Danny has two degrees. How clever is that? She worked at the Salvation Army for 10 years as a financial counsellor and not only did she work full-time, have four kids, she decided to do a law degree, as you do. Um, She advocates for those less fortunate. She volunteers in our backyard and I don't ever want to be in an argument with either of these two. (laughs) Excuse me, (laughs) because I would lose. Okay. This is what we're going to do. We're going to have a bit of a discussion uh, with these two. I've given them, they've picked some questions and then they're going to do a rant. They're going to do a five minute rant each and then we're going to take some Q&A from the floor. How good is that? It's a wild card night. If it doesn't work, we'll never do one of these again. We'll go back to normal (laughs) preaching, but I thought it would be good. All right, so we're going to start with you, Danny. Uh, Can you give us a snapshot? Of what you've done what you do and what drives you don't don't I might have to cut them off if they go too long I'm gonna cut them off but that's not rude that's just so that we can have a biscuit at the end of the night
2: okay well I I have a banking background actually very ordinary and plain and so does and that's where I met my husband Heath and uh, we fell in love as tellers for westpac so it was very romantic Uh, and we were both working in financial institutions in the 90s when things were not great and the culture was greed was good so um, we both came through thinking we just didn't like what we saw and we didn't like how consumers were treated most generally. So um, Heath went out on his own in business and I went on my pathway, which was, I had my kids, but I just couldn't see myself going back to doing a role like that. So I fell into financial counselling just by peer accident. Well, it was an accident, there's no accidents with God, but I, um, and I've been working for the Salvos and during that time I did my law degree and, um, and then I ended up in financial rights. So. And what I'm passionate about is um, I hate systemic issues. And that's what you see a lot of in that industry. Uh, but I also hate things where we, put, um, we don't put people first. And so a lot of my social work background is about putting out whoever's in front of you first, what their needs are, and walking with them to obviously achieve that.
1: What, can you just move, sorry, can you sorry. move your stool back so I can see Greg? Yep, sure. Oh, <laughs> sorry, I'm short. Hey. <laughs> sorry. Um, what, what do you mean by systemic issues?
2: So systemic issues would be where you see systems in place which are not for good. They're actually, can, and a lot of the times, they can create a lot of evil um, and also harm people. So that's what I would call systemic issues. An example would be uh, in Carter Home or our backyard. We see people come in, but we send them out, and there's really they're not released into any kind of hope because there's no affordable rentals. That's a systemic issue. And tell us a bit about advocacy. What you advocate? Who you advocate for? So advocacy for me um, has probably been something which I have been. Um, uh, I, I believe God created me to be that way. I've never been any different, but when you are passionate about something and you have a floor or a forum in order to speak about it, you, it's like you have an out-of-body experience where you can't shut up about it and no matter what, you, you just keep going, keep going, keep going, but that leads into creating change where you can talk with people. Um, I remember one day when I, and this is sort of a side story, I was um, in my financial counselling role. I had to go to Sydney and we were meeting with some executives at the Commonwealth Bank and they all kn- knew who I was and they all knew my name and I didn't understand why because I had the most amount of disputes with that particular bank nationally. I couldn't believe it. Awesome. <laughs> that was scared of me. <laughs> I was who, like, I'm really a nice person. I'm not, I'm not mean.
1: <laughs> who wins the argument with you and Heath?
2: Um. <laughs> well, we're both very similar, so it can get fiery, <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay, Greg, can you talk to us about biblical justice, what it is and what it isn't?
0: Yes, I hope so. Um, so I kind of broadly break biblical justice into two sort of categories that are different but linked. Um, I think, firstly, what I'd call like a meta sort of narrative of justice in the Bible. So like a, a bigger story is, uh, that we're very familiar with is, is sin and grace. And so part of God's character as a just God is that we actually can't be in a relationship with him through sin. We call that total depravity, if you like fancy words. And so uh, to overcome that, Jesus came and died for us, and that makes us just with God. And so there's a form of justice there. Uh, I actually got the dictionary definition of justice written down because I thought it would be helpful. And it says, uh, based on or according to what is morally right or fair. So the idea is that God is morally right, and we can't be in that relationship with him uh, without the sacrifice of Christ. And then the second part of justice in the Bible, I think, is is linked, but it's more of an outworking of our understanding as Christians of justice. And so I think we see it in the gospel of, well, in Christ's missionary work. Um, he actually is meeting people and showing them that god is a just god through his actions and so the biblical justice is not just a sort of a cognitive justice it's a it's a lived justice and so as christians we express our understanding of justice
1: very good uh danny does personal character matter when it comes to social justice is it okay to be passionate about a cause and not work on your own character
2: Well, for me personally, I always feel that character comes out of hardship and you can't build character in your own life unless you go through some of your own stuff. And I, after I finished uni, I applied for one job and I got it and I was working for Financial Rights Legal Centre in Sydney and it was my dream job. I actually thought I was anointed to do that job for the rest of my life. I was travelling down, I was commuting, but I absolutely loved it. I would come home and, I, you know, I just felt like I was really making a difference. And then about 12 months into that role, um, we were, because we we're a community legal centre, we were relying on funding and they took me into an office and um, and they basically just sat me down and said, we've got to let you go. And I just, I remember in that moment just feeling like I just almost wanted to collapse and i couldn't believe it was actually happening and i just thought but god this is what you wanted me to do for the rest of my life like this is what i've been studying so hard for for seven years like finally i'm getting to do what i really am passionate about and i just i remember going home the two and a half hours in the train just seemed to take forever. And I remember walking in the door and Charlie's like, she used to always greet me and say, who'd you help today, Mum? And I just tried to avoid eye contact with her and just went to bed. And the next day, Heath drove me to Sydney and I just basically lost it. I just felt like such a failure. And I just went straight into that place where the devil just tells you, you're not good enough. And... Um, And I just was so completely bewildered and lost by what had happened to me. And I just didn't understand it. And I remember um, I I just continued going and then pretty much COVID happened and we were in lockdown and I just was left sort of without a job and no purpose and all my dreams had seemed to have been shattered. And in that, I honestly felt like I knew that God was building in me character, but I wasn't enjoying it whatsoever. (laughs) And I just couldn't understand why. And I know now that um, in order for you to be able to help people, sometimes you've got to really go through it yourself. And unemployment in Newcastle is really bad and it can be such a horrible experience for people. And for me to go through that, I really got it. I really got what it was like to apply for you know hundreds of jobs and um, actually get nowhere and barely get an interview and also for people who actually say about sometimes the people that stay at our backyard well, if, if you just got a job you wouldn't be homeless. and it used to really offend me and I used to and that drove me into advocating in those sort of issues. But I do remember being at church one day and they had a healing service and and Ivan led that service and I just remember writing down, I'm just giving this to God. You know, to me it was a big failure and I just couldn't understand why. But I just thought I'm writing it down, I'm letting it go, I don't understand, but I'm not gonna question it because The devil wanted me to feel like a failure, but I knew that God loved me. I knew he'd gone before me. I knew he was faithful. I knew he was going to come through, but I just didn't understand the why. And then pretty much straight after that, Mindy said, can you come in and help us with Macquarie Care? We really need someone like you to be able to give us a hand. I was sort of sitting at home doing nothing, and I said, sure, and then came out of that other projects, but yeah. But that, for me, was a really hard time and certainly character building, but I know I had to go through it in order to be to have that voice and give that voice to other people. Greg, does the Bible compel us to be activists?
0: Um, Proverbs 31, 9 uh, says, to defend the rights of the poor and needy. Um, and I think throughout the Bible there's a, The constant reminder Um, i think jesus talks about it a lot in his parables and we hear about it in the the sheep and the goats Um, that yeah we really are called as christians not just to understand like i was saying understand what justice is as a cognitive concept but actually to to live out uh, our realization of that and so i think yeah i think we really are as christians called not to just uh, be complacent and be passive in our uh, sort of life experience, um, be content with, with what we are. Um, I think we are called to be activists. I think even the, you know, the mission um, of the church to go and seek the lost for salvation is a, is a call to an activism of sorts and I think that really a humanitarian activism is an extension of the missional work of the church and it's a, it's a crucial part of how we reach people.
1: Like sometimes when I think of activists, I think of Crazy people <laughs> outside the town hall. Um, yeah, um, with lots of opinions, but actually not doing anything. What is activism? So change my, change my mindset of activism. Well,
0: that is an activism of sorts. And, you know, there are, I think, uh, times in, you know, if you're looking for a civil change and the civil process isn't giving you the change, then you, you know, there is an activism that is a, a take-to-the-streets activism that's required, I think, of you know, um, Martin Luther King. You know, it wasn't ever gonna get the results that they got, you know, through the civil process, because they, they weren't allowed to partake. And so, you know, there is certainly times in which, you know, being on the streets and being literally active is right. So I wouldn't disparage that out, outright. Um, but activism, yeah, it's it's a call against systemic things because it's not just as simple as a it's not a, a personal action that will change everything. It's a thing where you have to ongoingly it's like a fight and you have to keep getting up and trying again and trying again. And so, you know, there are activists within all spheres. In you know, in the legal world, there's lots of people that are activa- activists. You don't see them necessarily, you know out on the streets or on the TV, but they're working for the rights of the people that they're representing. So, yeah, activism is like a, it's like being in a battle or a fight and keep getting back up and keep going again uh, to look, to seek after the things you want because they're not coming easily.
1: Very good. Okay, Greg, you're up first for your rant.
0: Okay. (laughs) Um, I had, oh yeah, anyway, I had a rant that I threw out because I thought it was probably a bit too. I'd uh, come and talk to me about that if you want to see me blow up. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I have <laughs> I have a, a second round, which is still fair. Um, uh, I, li- I listen to a lot of sort of comedy. Um, a lot of that is very secular, and uh, and I listen to heaps of political podcasts and things. And and the thing that infuriates me, the thing that I wanted to rant about, um, is what I think is a, is a modern criticism of the church. And, uh, and I think L. Ron Hubbard, who was the founder of Scientology, uh, actually in a way sort of nailed what people think about the church. Uh, he said, a penny, uh, writing for a penny a word is ridiculous. If a man wanted to make a million dollars, the best way would be to start a religion. And, um, and I think that actually often the church is seen as this thing that you just recruit people in, fleece them of all their money, and you don't look after them. Um, and, you know, as someone that's a Christian, that's a hard thing to hear, and honestly, I hear it a lot. And you know, and, um, and so I wanted to, my, if I had to title my rant, I'd say uh, that this is the answer to that modern criticism of the church. Um, so I think the church is seen through uh, secularism as an institution that's just inherently greedy, and inherently hypocritical you take all this stuff and you don't do any of the things that you say you're going to do you pay lip service to those things but you don't do them you're just getting people in and fleecing them Um, and uh and so i i think that actually interestingly we actually have basically an entire book of the bible which is devoted to that exact criticism which is james and i encourage anyone who wants to be encouraged in their activism or in their like you know, humanitarian call as a Christian to read James. Um, James 2 says, faith without works is dead. Um, and I think that that really is the answer to the, uh, to the notion of greed and hypocrisy in the church. If, um, I would say that the two things that are direct counters of those are greed, the counter to saying that is, if someone accuses you of being greedy, you show them the cost of the things that you do. You say, I'm not greedy. Look, this is where I spend my time. This is where I put my effort, my energy. This is uh, where we put our resources. So I think of things like our backyard. It's putting resources into something, and that is a cost to the church. Um, and those things don't just fall together. You know, the car park gets used up you know, all the time. Um, and I think the, uh, the, response, the right response to an accusation of being hypocritical is to show someone the results that you get you're not just paying lip service to something when something physical happens. Um, it's very easy for people to criticize the church uh, you know, and say, oh, you're just talking about spiritual things and those things don't exist. It's very hard for them to say, you know, well, you didn't really build that hospital in Nigeria. Um, you know, and, uh, and those results speak volumes to the idea of the church as this sort of entity that doesn't do anything, um, you know, I think about people going into, going from car to home. Like that's insane. That's a huge problem in society. There's m- not many institutions that can deliver that result and yet we're doing it in our, literally in our backyard. Um, and so yeah, I think that the right response uh, of the church to the idea of being greedy and, hypo- and hypocritical is uh, to show people that what we do has a cost and we get the results.
1: Very good. What was your fir- other rant going to be?
0: Am I allowed to say?
1: Yeah, you can say. Delete this from the
0: podcast. Uh, I was going to talk about the social contract, which is, I don't know if anyone knows what that means, but basically social contract is like you're born into a society and we have these things like tax. And people get annoyed about tax. And it used to infuriate me. I've just worked, I've just finished, but I was working at the farmer's market every weekend for two and a half years. And all the time I see these guys and they take the money with cash and I just know that money goes undeclared. And it's like... We're in a public park that's paid for by taxes. And I think that, that Christians should inherently believe in the value of those social contracts. That's a part of our um,
1: humanitarian Yes, I court. agree. It's very good. Is that an okay thing yeah, to say that up was here? Great. Okay, we got to do that. Well, that's my other in. one. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. Pay to Caesar what yeah. is Caesar's. Yeah. I don't, I don't pay people that want cash. Don't ask to do a job and pay cash, because I want want them to pay taxes.
2: Danny, your rant. Go. Um, I was just going to say, to sort of finish off, is um, don't confuse opinion with your purpose. I think it's very easy for us to give an opinion on something, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that is our God-given purpose. And freedom of speech, there's a huge amount of responsibility that comes with that. Um, I remember when um, the Black Lives Matter um, sort of movement started, and it has been around for a long time, but the trigger point was the death of George Floyd, and it was horrific, and it was a crime, and it was terrible. But the cancel culture that came from that Is really about blaming and shaming it's not about actually being a solution to systemic racism and I do remember um, during that period of time when things were a bit crazy in America I had a friend who lived in the States and her husband was a law enforcement officer and I sent her a message on Facebook and I said how are you going and she said it's horrific I can't even leave the house with my daughter we are in fear of our life and I think God has always created us to do relationships and always to continually work on those relationships. And I've got a really good girlfriend who is from the Torres Strait and a few years ago she was having Christmas Day with us. And I remember we were sitting around and we were just about to have dessert and my mum came out and said, here's my famous blackfellas pudding. And we all just like, my mouth dropped and... It was just like one of those things. It had been in our family for about a hundred years, this recipe. And my friend, uh, Annie, said, oh, well, it won't be as good as my black fella's pudding because I, it's made by a real black fella. And she sort of made light of it. But I remember thinking at the time, some things that just become the normal in our culture need to change. And what we have to put into perspective is context. A hundred years ago, that might have been okay, but today is different. But my friend knew that we weren't racist. She knew that we loved her. She loved me and she loved my mum. And she took no offense to it. And if anything, she made light of it and she just made a bit of a joke about it. But would I say that again? No, I mean, I've got children that go to a public high school where 25% of the people that are in that school are from Aboriginal or Torres Strait descent. And we know the hardships that they go through. My friend has been singled out in train stations because she's black. I have never been through that experience and I never will, probably because I'm white. That's the difference. The difference is their perspective and their context compared to ours. And we've just got to continually work towards building those relationships, building those bridges. But when we start to vilify, that's from Satan. That's not from God. God convicts us. He doesn't vilify, he doesn't condemn us, that's from the devil. And that's the difference between, um, I think that's biblical justice in this world and we're still supposed to love each other unconditionally and we all make mistakes, but we have, you know, if we build those relationships, we have the grace around those mistakes that we make and they're usually, they're unintentional.
1: Because there's a lot of conversation about reconciliation. That's the way for reconciliation, isn't it? Forgiveness,
2: Absolutely. forgiveness and and forgiveness is really hard. Um, and it works both ways. And, you know, inadvertently we sometimes say things because it's probably ingrained in us from, you know, previous behaviours or things that have been said, but it's not necessarily how you feel and it's not necessarily how you think. But it's when you have that awareness of how something needs to change well, that's good, that's that's great. That means you're growing spiritually as well. And I was going to say, around purpose, um, you know, sometimes things will be given to you and God will give you something really small and he wants you to grow that. And it's really good to know what you're good at and what you're not good at. And one of those things for me was always advocacy. I, was, I, I remember when I was at law school um, very early on and we had a... Um, had like a mock trial and I was in front of this judge who I really respected but I was shaking like a leaf I've never been so terrified in all my life and I remember I knew the case really well and I was talking in front of him and all of a sudden I dropped my papers and I just went on like a five minute rant and he said in that moment I saw the advocate in you you just became a different person once you dropped all your papers. And I never forgot it. And it wasn't because I was sort of like noting myself or arrogant. It was because God wanted me to know that that was the spiritual gift that I had. And it was really powerful. And it sort of, it's been able to, for me, help me stay in my lane and not divert. And not go off on other things. People would say to me, "Oh, you should do this. Or you should do that." No, that's not really who I am. I'm an advocate. I do it for the bat lard. That's that's all I know. And it's the same. Heath also. He was the same in coaching. He he was always a really good soccer coach. And you know, something really small was given to him. But he's all about um, building trust in teams and. Um, taking away self-doubt from the people that he coach and and sowing and reaping and it's really, really small but if you stick to that, if you stick to what gives you, he will grow it and he'll grow it so beyond, it will be on your wildest dreams. So yeah, so know who you are, know what you're good at, know what you don't like but also we're not supposed to have an opinion on every single thing.
1: Very good. Okay, so we've got a few minutes for Q&A. Um, you don't want me to ask all the questions. Who's got a question? You have to see. Yeah, go, I'll, I'll repeat the question. Sure.
2: Um, what are human rights as expressed in the Bible?
1: What are human rights? What are the human rights that are expressed in the Bible? Very good question. Greg.
0: (laughs) Not a tough one at all.
2: The biggest one is love your neighbor as yourself. And probably the only one you ever need to worry about. Everything comes back to that. Everything, it's a fundamental principle and jesus said it over and over and over again he was huge on human rights i mean he he advocated for women he advocated for so many different causes out there and if you look at everything he does it's always love your neighbor as yourself that was his biggest lesson
0: yeah absolutely i mean i think that's the exactly the right answer that's effectively the answer that jesus gave you know the bible story says that they're they were asking him questions to catch him, not to actually ask what he wanted. And so they were putting forward those the most tricky questions, you know, what are the things that you ultimately believe are, are the ultimate realities and ultimate truths? And Jesus says, first, love your God, um, meaning our God, and then secondly, love your neighbour. So, yeah, I think that's spot on. Bronny.
1: If you were Prime Minister for a week, how long have you got? what policies would you change? Well, you can only say one. Uh, what's one policy you change? Otherwise, that's
2: right, we be I here. Can I say two? Well, we'll say the first one and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, there's a particular type of loan called payday loans. I've been advocating for probably three or four years to have this loan scrapped from society because they actually do so much damage to vulnerable people and people on lower incomes. And uh, the biggest one for me would be climate change. Yeah, we have to be very careful. We've got to, we we've got to do a better job of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah,
0: yeah, same climate change.
1: Wow. Yeah,
0: yeah I'd uh, be putting in some, some legislation to make some real action.
1: There you go, Bronnie. Bronnie. Bruce. Bruce is talking about reconciliation and forgiveness. Don't say too much because I'm going to talk about it next week.
2: <laughs> but, yeah, true. I always it's think true. forgiveness is always a gift that God gives us to heal ourselves. So it's really not even about the other person. It's about you being able to move on. And, and sometimes it's just accepting the fracture that's there. Um, so, yeah, forgiveness is a big part of it. Um, and sometimes I think biggest problem that I think people have an expectation on forgiveness is that they will get the apology and things like that they're actually wanting and I think forgiveness is really not about that, it's about you being able to move on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean my story that, that is along these lines is, is really about my, my aunt, who, so my mum's older sister, um, who in the 70s she married a guy from Bermuda who was black and her grandparents disowned her and they said that, nah, you, you know, we don't ever want to see you again. And they actually, they actually sort of fled and they moved to Bermuda and, and lived there. But my aunt had to go on that journey of forgiveness. That, that relationship was never reconciled, but she had to take that journey of forgiveness to get there.
1: That's right. It doesn't always mean the relationship is reconciled. A question for both of you. How do we um, get involved in social justice in our own world, just working nine to five, kids, responsibilities? What does biblical justice or social justice look for the, looks like for the average person living their life? What can we do? Or how can we be involved?
0: Um, my wife already gave me the answer to this question earlier. So <laughs> thanks, Sarah. Um, she said you've just got to do what you can do. Um, you know, not all of us are, are lawyers or, or have the capability to do that, or have, have that within us, or are called to that necessarily. But it's it's doing the things that you can do in the actual life that you're in, um, you know, and finding the space and the the issues that impact you to do that. So for me, I'm a coffee roaster, and a large part of my job is buying coffee, and so I have a choice every time I buy a coffee how much money and what value do I put on the things and and how much do I check the background of where this coffee is coming from and the people that are growing it. And, you know, that's a small thing and it's a a transaction I have to make regardless. But, you know, I have to advocate to my boss for, you know, well, let's buy this one because I think this one is a better project and I think this one's going to do more good. So it's the things you can do in the life that you're in.
2: And I would just say um, probably just trying to find out what you, in order to sort of align your purpose is work out what you're good at and what you don't like, what brings you enjoyment and then try and align it with that and social justice will come out of it. I can guarantee if you have a heart, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you'll have compassion for different situations and things that need change and you'll just move on it. You won't be able to stop yourself and let it flow. Let it flow.
1: And volunt- this is me adding, even though I'm not on the panel, <laughs> Volunteer in an area that you're passionate about. Yeah, volunteer. There's so many areas in the community you can, you, you can be passionate. And just be justice in the day. Like give someone the car park or smile at somebody or shout somebody a coffee. There's just so many areas that we can bring justice to the earth. Um, I, just, I just think it's, we can be involved every day, just loving our neighbour. All right, we've got something for you. A little thank you for both of you. We have got flowers for you, Danny. We wanted to thank you because Danny just said yes on Wednesday, and we've got nappies for you, Greg. Thank
0: you. <laughs> I need these.
1: Roz, Zare's great ability to buy gifts. Summed up there, practical. Valentine's Day. Yeah, Valentine's Day. So um, thank you so much. Let's thank them again. Cheers tonight and I'm going to hand over to Carly
0: thank you for listening we hope you have enjoyed
1: this message for more information please visit